Welcome to the fifth episode of Biographical Bites from Bala, West Laurel Hill Stories. Cemetery is a historic and active cemetery in Balakinwood, Pennsylvania. It opened in 1869 across the river from its sister cemetery, Laurel Hill, in Philadelphia. It's larger than Laurel Hill. It has a totally different feel, a strikingly different population. Like Laurel Hill, it is open 365 days a year, now from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. until April when the hours expand to 7 p.m. Plenty of parking at the business office just off Belmont Avenue or at the Bell Tower. If you enter on Belmont, follow the road with the white line in the middle to get to the Bell Tower. Another possibility is just to duck in while you're walking the Kidwood Trail. Your best bet for public transportation is probably to take the bus to the Wissahickon Transfer Center on Ridge Avenue, then cross the Pencoid Pedestrian Bridge and come in via the Writer's Ferry entrance across from the Pet Cemetery. Our fifth episode of Biographical Bites from Bala is from mid-February 2022 and tells you of what would probably have to be called the first black power couple in Philadelphia, and they stayed in that position for many years. After Raymond Pace Alexander graduated from Harvard Law School, he became the preeminent civil rights lawyer in Philadelphia as he worked his way up the political ladder to becoming judge of the Pennsylvania Court of Common Pleas. His wife, Sadie Tanner Mossel Alexander, was the first black woman to do so many things that it's easy to lose count. And there's a good possibility that she will have her own statue at City Hall in the not-too-distant future. Listen to their story on this month's episode of Biographical Bites from Bala, West Laurel Hill Stories. When Americans reflect on the civil rights struggle, I think their minds automatically go to the South with Martin Luther King Jr. and Rosa Parks, the Birmingham bus boycott, the Edmund Pettus Bridge, the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing, and other iconic events. This makes sense. Before the Great War, 90% of the black population lived in the South. In most northern cities, the black population was too small for the white establishment to feel threatened, and race relations were relatively trouble-free if African Americans just stayed in their place. But during and after the war, there was a precipitous drop-off in European immigrants to take on the low-skill, low-wage jobs, and northern manufacturers started recruiting black workers from the south. They were not greeted with open arms by white occupants of the major northern cities. In addition, more than a million African Americans had enlisted in the military, and black students joined their local reserve officers training corps, ROTC programs in college. 
Some returning veterans refuse to return to their previously lowly positions in society. This was what partially led to the Red Summer of 1919, a wave of lynchings and race riots across America. Philadelphia and its surroundings did not escape the bloodshed. In May 1919, a large mob of white people clashed with a large group of African Americans around 25th and Pine over a black family who had moved into the neighborhood. Two more Philadelphia riots occurred in July. There was a battle in Wilmington in November. It was in 1919 that Jamaican-American poet Claude McKay published his much-admired sonnet, If We Must Die. If we must die, let it not be like hogs hunted and penned in an inglorious spot, while round us bark the mad and hungry dogs, making their mock at our accursed lot. If we must die, oh, let us nobly die, so that our precious blood may not be shed in vain, then even the monsters we defy shall be constrained to honor us, though dead. O kinsmen, we must meet the common foe, though far outnumbered, let us show us brave, and for the thousand blows deal one death blow, what though before us lies the open grave." Like men, we'll face the murderous, cowardly pack. Pressed to the wall, dying, but fighting back. Although mostly unknown to white Americans, the poem was memorized and recited by black school children across the land. Also in 1919, Philadelphia-born African-American Raymond Pace Alexander was entering his senior year at the Horton School of Business, where in 1920 he would graduate with a B.A. in economics and head off to Harvard Law School. Raymond Pace Alexander was born on 13 October 1898 to Hilard Boone Alexander and Virginia Pace Alexander, both of whom had been born enslaved people in Virginia, Hillard in 1856 and Virginia in 1854. They met and married in Philadelphia after migrating there during the 1880s. According to W.E.B. Du Bois in his classic tome, The Philadelphia Negro, the city's black population in 1870 was just over 22,000. By 1900, it had grown to 62,613, mostly concentrated in the 7th Ward. When Raymond was born in 1898, his family lived at 534 South 24th near South Street in what is now called the Fittler Square area of the city. Raymond's mother died when he was six years old, and he saw his father struggle to raise five children alone. When he was eight years old, Raymond told his father he would cover his own expenses. He started delivering newspapers with a work day that started at 6 a.m. This allowed him to make it home for breakfast before heading to classes. He also had a bootblack stand, which he manned every day but Sunday. He made about $12 a week. Public education in Philadelphia at this time was abysmal for everyone. Only 4% of white children and 2.3% of black children reached the 8th grade, and most of them did not attend high school. 
Raymond attended prestigious all-boys Central High School, where he excelled, running on the track team and becoming the first black editor of the school newspaper. That's a position that was voted on by the student body. When he was a 16-year-old sophomore, Raymond's industriousness was noticed by the owner of the Metropolitan Opera on North Broad Street, who offered him a job. He sold librettos in the lobby. He ran the cloakroom. He worked in the smoking room and the ticket booth. He mingled with European opera performers and learned to speak German, French, Spanish, and Italian. The Met, where he worked for six years through high school and college, was a relatively race-free, safe space where he made friends with people from around the world. He emerged as a polished speaker, comfortable in any situation. He later used the orating skills he had learned while watching opera when he was arguing his cases in court. In 1917, Raymond Pace Alexander enrolled in the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School of Finance on a full scholarship. It was here that he met his eventual wife and lifelong companion, Sadie Tanner Mossel. There were about 35 black students in the undergraduate, professional, and graduate courses, and they were not allowed to eat in any of the school cafeterias. So they brought their own lunches, and they ate quietly together in the library. While taking a full load of classes, Raymond continued to work at the Met, as well as serving as a waiter at the Broad Street Station restaurant and in the Bellevue Stratford Hotel. In his junior year, he worked as a Pullman porter on numerous runs out of New York and Boston. He joined the Students' Army Training Corps and received an honorable discharge in December 1918. In that same month, Raymond and Sadie and two friends from Cornell decided to attend a show at the Schubert Theater, now the Merriam Theater. When the four students arrived at the theater, they presented their tickets perched in advance at the box office and were informed there had been a dreadful mistake that someone else had purchased those very seats before them. Raymond started complaining excitedly in Spanish, while Sadie and her friends started chattering loudly in French. The theater manager said, why they're not, and words, and allowed them to enter the theater. They took note that their original seats were not occupied throughout the show. Raymond and Sadie vowed, if we ever become lawyers, we're going to break this thing. Segregation and discrimination, and yes, we're going to open up those restaurants too. You just wait. During his senior year at Penn, Raymond carried 26 hours both semesters. In his final semester, he enrolled in nine classes and received marks of distinguished in eight. In 1920, he was the first black graduate of the Horton School of Business. After graduation, he wanted to work in a Philadelphia bank, but the best offer he got was to work in the bank's foreign branch in Rio de Janeiro. A few of his instructors recognized his potential and encouraged him to go to Harvard Law School. Now, Harvard had been accepting black students since 1865. In fact, in 1920, there were only about 16,500 blacks living in the city of Boston, compared to eight times that many in Philadelphia. The prejudice was far less than what he had experienced in Philadelphia. 
there were 30 black graduate and professional students at Harvard. About half of them were attending on the Veteran College Aid Program, a post-World War I version of the GI Bill. While still in law school, Alexander brought his first discrimination lawsuit, suing Madison Square Garden for refusing him entry on account of his race, a violation of New York's equal rights law. Back in Philadelphia, his girlfriend Sadie was earning a Ph.D. in economics from Penn. Sadie Tanner Mussel came from a totally different background from Raymond. Her maternal grandfather, Benjamin Tanner, was Bishop of the African Methodist Episcopal Church and editor of Christian Recorder, an influential journal of black American intellectuals during the 19th century. Bishop Tanner and his wife had seven children, including the renowned painter Henry Osawa Tanner. You've probably seen his work at the Philadelphia Museum of Art. A daughter, Hallie Tanner Johnson, became the first woman of any race to practice medicine in Alabama. Sadie's father, Aaron Mossell Jr., was the first black person to graduate from the law school at the University of Pennsylvania. Her uncle, Nathan Francis Mossell, was the first African-American to graduate from Penn's medical school. In 1895, he was a co-founder of the Frederick Douglass Hospital, which later merged with Mercy Hospital to form Mercy Douglass. Nathan's wife, Gertrude Bustill Mosel, was a prominent journalist and author of a black feminist manifesto. Now, despite coming from a different social class, Sadie underwent the same segregation suffered by Raymond during her college days and also vowed to do something to change the way things were. Her classmates would not talk to her or even acknowledge her presence. Despite hardships, she completed her undergraduate degree with top grades in just three years. She received the highly competitive Francis Sergeant Pepper Fellowship to work on her economics Ph.D. Francis Sergeant Pepper was the wife of Penn President Dr. William Pepper, whose statue greets you on the first floor landing of the Free Library of Philadelphia Logan Square location. Both Peppers are interred at Laurel Hill Cemetery. In June 1921, just two weeks after white residents of Tulsa, Oklahoma, destroyed the most prosperous black community in the country, Sadie received her Ph.D. in economics. She was one of three African-American women who that year became the first in U.S. history to receive a doctorate in any field. With grades worthy of Phi Beta Kappa, she was not invited to join, and excellent recommendations from her instructors, Sadie had no job offers except as a high school teacher. Even traditionally black universities like Howard were not yet hiring women instructors. Frustrated, she took a job as an actuary with a black-owned insurance firm in North Carolina. After two years, she saw no way to advancement, so she came back to Philadelphia, where Raymond was just opening his law office. He asked her to marry him, and she said yes. And after another incident of being refused seating, this time in the Aldean movie theater on Chestnut Street, where they wanted to see the Ten Commandments, she also decided to go to law school. 
1924 was also the year of Raymond's first major success in court when he argued the case of Louise Thomas, an African-American woman who was accused of murdering a male African-American police officer in her home. Thomas initially hired an experienced white attorney, but the 12-person all-white jury found her guilty of murder and the white judge sentenced her to death. Black women's groups and church groups protested the trial, and the state Supreme Court reversed the verdict and ordered a new trial. Raymond now took the case, with a retrial in October 1925 before the same judge, and again an all-white jury was selected. Alexander argued this was obviously a case of self-defense, and his presentation included examination of 20 character witnesses. His case was airtight. It took the jury less than two hours to come back with a verdict of not guilty. This case made him a lawyer to watch. Now, in 1927, despite attempts to stifle her progress and prevent her election to the Law Review Board, Sadie Tanner Mossel became the first black woman to graduate from the University of Pennsylvania Law School and to pass the bar examination in Pennsylvania. There is an excellent episode about Sadie from the rather irreverent podcast, Broads You Should Know. It was published in February of 2021. Ignore the gratuitous profanity. You will learn a lot about her. Full disclosure, I am an occasional volunteer contributor to Broads You Should Know, telling stories of women buried at Laurel Hill and West Laurel Hill. But they beat me to Sadie. They did her first. In October 1926, Raymond Pace Alexander relocated his law office to an 1,800-square-foot space on the second floor of a building in the heart of the white business community at 19th and Chestnut, although he had to get a white person to sign the lease. This put him very close to City Hall. Ironically, it was next door to the Aldine Theater, which had refused him service two years earlier. He added a real estate department, and he hired Louis Tanner Moore, grandnephew of Sadie Alexander's uncle, Henry Osawa Tanner. He hired three black secretaries. One of them was a graduate of Temple University. The other two were high school graduates. The next year, he hired two more attorneys, Maceo Hubbard, another Harvard Law graduate, and Sadie Tanner Mossel Alexander. He now had four black Ivy League-trained lawyers. And when he hired his wife, one of the male lawyers in the practice, said he didn't want to work with a woman in the place. Raymond's response was, well, I guess you'd like to resign then. Uh, Both of them ended up staying, though. Alexander's law office took on civil rights cases, especially those that involved coerced confessions. This practice to obtain pleas of guilty had different names and methods across the country. In Texas, it was known as the electric monkey and involved shocking suspects. Chicago had its goldfish room, where suspects were taken to be beaten with a rubber hose. Detroit used the loop system, where suspects were moved from police station to police station so their attorney could not find them. Most cities, including Philadelphia, used the third degree, a term taken from the initiation rites of Freemasonry and the Knights of Columbus. In defending clients subject to the third degree, Alexander was successful more often than not. 
more than 20 years before the Brown versus Board of Education decision came before the U.S. Supreme Court. There was a similar battle in Chester County, Pennsylvania. Tredifrin East Town School District was unusual for the area in that it was integrated during the early part of the century. Black and white children attended school together with no apparent friction. In 1932, the district built a new school and decided to segregate students. The white students would be in the new school. The black students would get the old rundown school. The logic for making this decision was the Plessy versus Ferguson separate but equal doctrine. African Americans in the township complained bitterly and boycotted the school system for two years in protest. Black parents in the area were soon being arrested for keeping their children from the segregated school. No black lawyers had been admitted to the bar in Chester County, so Alexander had to become the first. But due to his pro bono work, a negotiated settlement was reached in 1934, whereby the schools remained integrated. This decision also helped kill school segregation in Pennsylvania. The 1935 Pennsylvania Civil Rights Act, partially drafted by the Raymond and Sadie Alexander Law Firm, made it illegal for public accommodations to refuse to serve black people. Those opposed to the law came up with different tactics. In restaurants, they would serve African Americans but make their visit unbearable. People of color who wanted a meal at Stouffer's or Harn and Hardart were often made to wait and then served heavily salted food or overcooked food, cold food, or food otherwise made unfit to eat. Alexander often took the cases and won, and the restaurants paid heavy fines. Raymond Pace Alexander and his law office were becoming important leaders in Philadelphia's black community and the leading civil rights law firm in Philadelphia. Between 1924 and 1950, Raymond was the lead defense attorney on several celebrated criminal and civil rights cases. He felt that he would be an appropriate candidate for judge and started working toward that goal in 1936. He would need white support as the black population was scattered in several districts in the north, west, and south of the city, unlike in Chicago, Southside, and New York City, Harlem. At this time, most African Americans still voted the Republican ticket since it was the party of Lincoln, and Democrats were still dealing with strict segregationists of the South. Alexander's shot at a judgeship was torpedoed after the Republican Party committee chairman declared, the time is not right for a black judge. Despite winning heavily in the city's black districts, Alexander was defeated in the race and a short time later switched his political affiliation to the Democratic Party. The American Bar Association did not allow black members until 1943. So African-American lawyers had started the National Bar Association in 1925. Raymond served as chair of the editorial board of the NBA, which started its magazine, National Bar Journal, in 1940 to trumpet the successes of its members. Astonishingly, civil rights law was still not being taught in white law schools. By the late 1930s, Alexander had gained a national reputation, even though all of his civil rights work was in the Philadelphia area. 
In November 1939, the NAACP publication The Crisis ran a front-page feature titled The Philadelphia Lawyer. The next month, the white-owned Philadelphia Inquirer conducted a poll on the most prominent citizen of the Negro race, and Alexander came in third behind singer Marian Anderson and scientist George Washington Carver. Raymond continued to make news in the cases he was covering. The Thomas Maddox case, 1942-44, to in which he prevented the extradition of a black teenager from Georgia who had been sent to Philadelphia to escape an almost certain lynching at the hands of a white mob. The Corrine Sykes case, 1944-46, to in which he failed to prevent the execution of a mentally challenged black domestic who had killed her employer in a botched robbery. And the Trenton Six case, 1948-1951, also known as the Northern Scottsboro, when six black men were accused of beating an elderly shopkeeper to death. While consulting with Walter White and Thurgood Marshall of the NAACP, Alexander successfully argued to get four of the men acquitted in their third trial, and the other two men avoided the death penalty. At the time, the Trenton Six was the longest trial in U.S. history. In the meantime, Sadie T.M. Alexander was making her name as a lawyer specializing in estate and family law. She also worked on the Orphan's Court. An Orphan's Court was established in the Chesapeake Bay American colonies during colonization. The major goal of the organization was to protect orphan children and their right to their deceased family members' estate from claims and against abuses by step-parents and others. Today in Maryland and in Pennsylvania, probate courts are still called Orphan's Courts. Hearing matters involving wills of deceased estates which are contested and supervising estates which are probated judicially. In 1927, Sadie became the first black woman appointed assistant city solicitor or city attorney. Now, unlike a district attorney or public defender who usually handles criminal cases, a city attorney generally handles civil cases, advising the city on legal matters and representing it in court. City attorneys may advise city officials on a wide range of city business, ranging from nuisances to tax law to municipal annexations. A city attorney also advises the city's legislative body, such as the city council, on the legality of proposed actions and assists in the drafting of city ordinances and resolutions. In the mid-1930s, Raymond and Sadie welcomed two daughters, Mary Elizabeth and Ray Pace, to the family. It was about this time that Sadie was frequently being asked to deliver speeches to the members of various civil rights organizations. She soon became a member of the National Urban League, National Bar Association, Delta Sigma Theta Sorority, she was their first president from 1919 to 1923, the National Council of Negro Women, Business and Professional Women's Club, Philadelphia Commission on Human Relations, American Civil Liberties Union, and Americans for Democratic Action. In 1946, President Harry Truman appointed C.D. Alexander to the newly formed Committee on Civil Rights, whose report to secure these rights was one of the most important civil rights documents issued prior to the 1964 Civil Rights Act. 
In the 1940s, Raymond lobbied for the job of federal judge in the U.S. 3rd District Court, but it did not happen. He then lobbied for a position as U.S. Ambassador to Liberia, and when that didn't happen, to Haiti, where he had many personal connections. Much to the delight of the Communist Party, Raymond got none of these positions for which he was qualified. The Communist Party used his failure as yet another example of how the United States treated people of color in a so-called democracy. Raymond was getting frustrated at not yet being rewarded for his switch to the Democratic Party. Now, in 1947, Joseph S. Clark, Jr., son of the Hall of Fame tennis player we met in the January 2022 edition of All Bones Considered, and Richardson Dilworth, both former Republicans, became Democrats. Clark, Dilworth, and Alexander were Ivy League-educated upper-class reformers. During the 1951 elections, Raymond won the primary for the city council and campaigned vigorously with other Democrats. Clark was elected mayor, Dilworth district attorney, and Alexander to the city council, ending 67 years of Republican rule in Philadelphia. Raymond Pace Alexander was the first African American to represent North Philadelphia on city council. His district included Girard College, and he spearheaded efforts to end the school's segregated admission policy from 1954 to 1958. Also in 1954, he asked that funds for the city's Mummers Parade be cut off until black-faced caricatures were stopped. In 1959, Raymond Pace Alexander at last became the first black judge appointed to the Common Pleas Court and ended his direct involvement in the campaign to desegregate Girard. In his first month as a judge, Alexander created an alternative probationary program called the Spiritual Rehabilitation Program, SRP, which received national attention for its innovative approach combining the social work usually afforded criminals with the mutual aid tradition of black communities and religious organizations. In January 1960, the National Black Magazine Ebony selected Judge Alexander of one of the 100 most famous black leaders in the country. And that same month, the Philadelphia Tribune published a four-page feature on Alexander and other black attorneys in Philadelphia. As Raymond rose in the ranks, younger black activists saw him distancing himself from struggling black people. These new protesters used louder voices and street demonstrations to make their ideas known. In January 1963, Cecil B. Moore became president of the Philadelphia branch of the NAACP. Moore offered a marked contrast to Alexander's legislative approach to civil rights. Moore and Alexander shared a contentious public relationship, with Moore often criticizing Alexander and other traditional black leaders as Uncle Toms. By the 1960s, a new radicalism and demand for greater progress on civil rights energized the civil rights movement, and leaders like Moore largely eclipsed Alexander and the campaigns he had undertaken decades earlier. In 1966, Alexander condemned the call for black power. He termed it a hazardous and meaningless catchphrase, which is as dangerous and divisive for the Negro as the white racism which we have opposed for so long. 
When Girard College finally desegregated in 1968, Moore invited Alexander to the victory rally in recognition of his contributions to the cause. But Moore had to calm the crowd, which booed Alexander during the rally. During his career, Alexander's tireless campaign for civil rights extended internationally as well through travels to destinations like Haiti and Eastern Europe. In July 1965, Alexander was appointed an American specialist to Southeast Asia and India and served that position for the State Department until 1969. On Saturday, November 25, 1974, Raymond Pace Alexander died at his desk at age 76 after returning to his office from a meeting in New York. His wife Sadie discovered his body on Sunday morning. The Reverend Leon Sullivan gave his homily at the church service, and he was interred at West Laurel Hill Cemetery, West Lawn Section, Plot 491A. Sadie Alexander practiced law from 1927 until her retirement in 1982. She served on the Commission of Human Relations of the City of Philadelphia from 1952 to 1968. When Raymond was appointed to the Court of Common Pleas in 1959, Sadie opened her own law office and practiced independently until 1974. In 1970, she was finally granted membership into Phi Beta Kappa, an honor she had been denied as an undergraduate at Penn. And in 1974, she was awarded an honorary doctorate by the University of Pennsylvania, her first of seven such honors. In 1978, President Jimmy Carter appointed Sadie T.M. Alexander to chair the White House Conference on Aging. Sadie died of pneumonia in November of 1989 at age 91. She's buried next to Raymond. There's a state historical blue marker at 700 Westview Street in North Philadelphia. It was dedicated in 1993. It identifies where Sadie lived in her later years. The Sadie Tanner Mossel Alexander University of Pennsylvania Partnership School, also known as Penn Alexander, is named after her. There's a Raymond Pace and Sadie Tanner Mossel Alexander professorship at the University of Pennsylvania. And in 2018, the Sadie Collective, an organization for black women in quantitative fields, was created in her honor the same year that Philadelphia City Councilwoman Sherelle Parker proposed a measure to erect a statue of her. Since it took 15 years from proposal to execution for the Octavius V. Cato statue at City Hall, it may be a few more years before we see the statue of C.D. Tanner Mossel Alexander. Remember that the regular edition of All Bones Considered Laurel Hill Stories will be available on the last Friday of February. About a year ago, I did a podcast on five Worcester men you may not know. Now it's the women's turn. Five Worcester women with fascinating stories from Sarah Logan Fisher Worcester to Gertrude Smith Worcester. Biographical Bites from Bala, West Laurel Hill edition number six in mid-March, will be on Hannah Clothier Hull, 
a member of the Clothier family who became one of the founders and leaders of the Women's Peace Party and the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom. Remember to become a member of the Friends of Laurel Hill and West Laurel Hill Cemeteries. You will get discounts on tours and in the gift shop. At least two members-only bonus podcasts this year. One of them is already recorded. And special tours that include visits inside some mausoleums at West Laurel Hill. Visit us at the cemeteries. You will find most of the activities at thelaurelhillcemetery.org slash events. There are many guided tours coming up at the cemeteries, along with virtual tours via Zoom. This is Joe Lex, retired professor of emergency medicine from Temple University. I'd love to hear from you. My email is joe at joelex.net. And maybe I'll see you on a tour. Stay safe, stay well, and stay tuned if you want to hear the references that I used. I had two major references for this podcast, two books, one by David A. Canton, Raymond Pace Alexander, a new Negro lawyer fights for civil rights in Philadelphia. That's the University Press of Mississippi Jackson from 2010. And then Nina Banks was editor of Democracy, Race, and Justice, the Speeches and Writings of Sadie T.M. Alexander. It was from Yale University Press, New Haven and London, 2021. There are a few articles that I found useful also. Julianne Malveaux, Missed Opportunity, Sadie Tanner Mazel Alexander, and the Economics Profession. That's from the American Economy Review, May 1991. Volume 81, number 2, pages 307 to 310. She takes the approach that if Sadie had practiced economics after getting her Ph.D., how things might have changed, not only for African Americans, but for America in general. Kenneth W. Mack, Law and Mass Politics in the Making of the Civil Rights Lawyer, 1931 to 1941. That's from the Journal of American History, June 2006, volume 93, number 1, pages 37 to 62. David Catton again, a dress rehearsal for the modern civil rights movement. Raymond Pace Alexander and the Berwyn, Pennsylvania School Desegregation Case, 1932 to 1935. That was in Pennsylvania History, a journal of Mid-Atlantic Studies, the spring 2008 edition, volume 75, number 2, pages 260 to 284. And finally, Francille Roussan Wilson, Becoming Woman of the Year, Sadie T.M. Alexander's Construction of a Public Persona as a Black Professional Woman, 1920 to 1950. That's in the journal Black Women, Gender Plus Families, Volume 2, Number 2, Fall of 2008, pages 1 through 30. Thanks for listening. I'll see you at the cemetery.